I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's a combination of things I think that led to the way I was feeling. One of them was PTSD, which is kind of caused by, you know, the things that you'd expect, like seeing nasty stuff and loss and all that kind of thing. But the other thing as well, which I think is in anything maybe even more powerful was just this sense of loss of purpose that like I was born to be a soldier and I was late in my late twenties. I'm like, well, I've done that. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly podcast about all things mental health. I'm Ellen, and today I'm talking to Geraint Jones. He's a former soldier and the writer of Brother in Arms, all about his time in the army. We're going to be talking to him today about PTSD, depression, addiction, and coming out the other side and living with his mum. But just as a warning, he does talk about suicide quite frequently, using the term commit suicide, which isn't one that we usually use. He also gets quite graphic about some things that people might find distressing. So just a full trigger warning in advance. Don't feel bad about shutting off if you need to stop listening. But for everyone else, let's get going. So, okay, tell us your story, basically. That I always wanted to be a soldier ever since I was a kid. You know, I just, I I swear that it's something I had in my DNA. It definitely wasn't a programming thing because neither of my brothers want anything to do with the military. My dad wasn't in, my mum wasn't in, my uncles and aunties weren't in. It was just something that I always wanted to do. Like my parents said that I, since I was like, you know, like literally seven years old, if you're not younger, I was obsessed with being um, being in the military. Went through a phase of wanting to be a pilot, which I think like a lot of young lads do, fighter pilot. And then I just kind of started to 
just wanted to be a soldier in the infantry. And the infantry is, if you think of a soldier, the guy running around with a gun shooting stuff, that's the infantry. That's the infantry. Because the army is like a lot wider than that. There's a lot of other roles. But the infantry is the people that kind of kick the doors in, do shoot the bad guys and that kind of stuff. I went to university. I thought I was going to be an officer, which is the usual route that people go down. So I'd be commanding men, you know, kind of level of like, a, almost like basically like a management level. And then Iraq happened, Afghanistan happened. I had friends that started to go overseas, go to these places and... I thought back in 2003, I was like, well, I better get out to this now or I'm going to miss it. And here we are, 2019, still in these places. So I could have waited a little bit longer. But, you know, this is the usual thing with young lads. And when it comes to war, as you think, if I don't go now, I'm going to miss it. And I decided against the officer thing, I decided I wanted to go into an enlisted rank. The easiest way I can kind of explain that is I wanted to be the guy like kicking in the door rather than the guy saying, go and kick in that door. Volunteered to get myself out to Iraq, got out there finally in 2006 because the army messed up my paperwork a few times. <laughs> so yeah, I went to Iraq, enjoyed it, asked to stay on for a second tour. Um, so I did uh, two tours back to back in Iraq, so I did about 12 months there. Came back, volunteered to go out to Afghanistan, went out to Afghanistan, did seven months out there. Didn't look like there was any more tours kind of on the cards for me. So I left the army, started working as a personal trainer for a little while. Gym closed on my birthday, didn't tell me. So I was out of a job, uh, found a job doing uh, protecting ships from pirates, did that for a few years. And basically then um, the reason that I'm here is then began my descent into PTSD, drug addiction, all that kind of stuff. I had a couple of really bad years, just kind of wanted out of it. I always say with that, because people will say like, did you want to commit suicide and stuff? It's like, well, actually, yes, I did want to, but I never, I was never in the point where I was stupid enough to think that if I go, then my family and stuff are just going to be like, oh, well, he was all right, wasn't he? Let's crack on. I, I always knew that even when I was in my lowest places. But if, if I, I said like the way I always think of it, if it was a switch, I could just flick a switch and it would be like, it was like be a clean cut for everybody else and they wouldn't know about it. They're kind of like the red, blue, blue, blue pill matrix thing. Then like that would, you know, 100% would have done it, which now I'm so, I'm so fucking glad that I didn't do that because now I'm just so happy. You know, I'm just I'm most of the time, really happy person now. And well, you talk about kind of the descent and I think that sounds quite sudden. Was it, did it feel sudden for you? Um, I don't think it, I don't think it was a sudden. It's one of those ones that like, you know, in your life, something just becomes the new normal day by day, doesn't it? You know, I, it's not like one day I was like, whoa, love life. And the next day I was like, oh, I'm done. You know, suicide, please. You know, it must have crept in over, over a while. Coming out of it actually was more, I think a lot more sudden. That does seem to have come, like happened a lot. Um, a lot quicker, but I think it was a combination of things. And there's a lot of stuff, to be honest, I'm still picking out things now where I'm like, that was a moment where something happened. You know, I was just talking the other day, like when I, I when I left the, when I left the army and I went to work in the gym, I was working on my own. What I hadn't um, kind of realized was so important for me at the time was there was a rugby team, professional rugby team at that gym, became really good friends with them. And I trained with them. We go out together. We just like, it was literally like being with the army lads, but you know, in this new environment. So I didn't realize it. Cause I was always like, well, I was okay when I first came out the army, but I hadn't really come out of the army. I was in it had exactly the same thing. I was hanging around the same type of people, the same, the same kind of blokes all day and had that same, literally the same environment. Okay. We wouldn't get shot at, but it was exactly like being in barracks really. And it was then, it was after that. And when I started working away, it was when I started working away. It was a combination of things I think that led to the way I was feeling. One of them was PTSD, which is kind of caused by, you know, the things that you'd expect, like seeing nasty stuff and loss and all that kind of thing. But the other thing as well, which I think is in anything, maybe even more powerful was just this sense of loss of purpose that like I was born to be a soldier and I was late in my late twenties. I'm like, 
well, I've done that, and that's what I always wanted to do, and that's what I was put here to do. I, you know, I'm not, I don't believe in the God as we people know him, but I believe maybe there's some something out there that I don't understand. And if I was put on here to do anything, it was to do soldiering. And I didn't realise that that was the thing. And that's something that I'm really kind of in, trying to get across to people now is this, you know, not all veteran problems are PTSD related, you know, so much of it at its purpose. And that's why I think that's why I like talking to civilian audiences as well, because it's like purpose, I think is something that is, you know, it's like the, why there's so many young males committing suicide is this lack of purpose. I think we're very purpose, we're very purpose driven kind of gender. It's like, that's what a lot of well, people in general need a purpose, but I think young men need a purpose and a team. And I, I just, I didn't realize how, how much just being out because I'm you know I'm an author now but even when I was working on the on the you know working on the ships doing the security it was a very kind of lonely time you spend a lot of time on your own and that time for introspection was really so good at the time because you know your mindset your mindset really dictates your introspection so now if I've got time to introspect I'm like whoa isn't it great to be alive we can do all this stuff oh, my family's awesome at the time I was like well yeah suppose suppose we're done now aren't we might as well just chuck yourself off the side of this boat and no one will ever know <laughs> you just float to the bottom of the sea and that's kind of where my thoughts were so it wasn't good to have all that time I needed to be busy at the time I needed to have you know rediscover purpose I find it so interesting that you went into writing because you were saying how much you enjoyed that kind of the camaraderie of the army and then with your rugby team as well how do you deal with the loneliness of writing well yeah so it is it is solitary but there's a few ways to deal with it because the, again the reason the reason i went into writing because it's, it's definitely not not something i go into thinking oh that'll be an easy job because it's like you know you're battling for every every contract every book and it's like i've had some success so far but if i don't pick up my tools tomorrow then i'm not you know <laughs> next few years you're gonna be pretty lean it's a it's something i felt that again it was like a kind of it's just something i always had a talent for and i think i think every so every person has a talent and again, I think that's something, if you have a talent, that's probably your purpose. Like your purpose is probably tied in there. So I've kind of realized now that for me, I wasn't just supposed to soldier. I was supposed to soldier and then write about soldiers. So that's kind of how I've kind of like really discovered a bit of purpose. And that in itself is a way of kind of combating the loneliness because when I write, I'm writing about what I love. And what I love is the banter between soldiers and stuff. So I suppose in a way, I'm a madman having conversations with himself, <laughs> the conversations I like to have. But it's, it's weird because it's like, the characters I write about, even when I'm writing fiction, a lot of them are based on guys that I know. So there's that kind of camaraderie on the page. What I found over the last couple of years really cool is by being this kind of in this position with the writing, it means that I've got a great excuse to be on social media a lot. And it means that I've had a great excuse to talk to other veterans, but also other veterans that write who are in the same kind of position as me. Mm -hmm. Made some really great friendships over the last couple of years. Like, you know, one of those friendships where like things just go, you know, kind of things go really fast. So there's, there's that, that, that really helps. I did a podcast, which is like, it gives me an excuse every week. I'm going to sit down with another, so at the moment we're just doing veterans, but I want to eventually start to expand that to start to have mental health professionals. Um, just talking to the first few people about that now, because we're about 17, 16, 17 episodes in now. So around the kind of 25 mark, I want to start breaking into um, having civilian guests on as well. And this is like something that most 35 year old blokes never say is move back in with my mum. And at, I know it's just, it's, and that is honestly one of the best decisions I've ever made. Mm. I get on really well with her for a start. Well, I do now. I used to be shit back and she hated me. Well, she, no, she never hated me, but I, I, I mean, she had cause to. She's intelligent. She has great ideas that I can steal and then claim as my own for my work. We got a lovely house in the countryside, which is again, something I think is so important for my mental health. And I think people's mental health in general, honestly, but 
it's great because she knows when to leave me alone. I know when to leave her alone. And it's not like a, I think when if there's like a, it's like a boyfriend, girlfriend relationship. There's always that kind of bit of a, some, well, not always, not in a healthy relationship, but in a lot of relationships that aren't so healthy, that resentment of, oh, you're choosing your work over me or something. You know? And this is just like, oh, you're working fine, whatever. Mm-hmm. We have some rules, like we we'll always have dinner together and, you know, and that kind of thing. And, I have like a goals list in my room, which she adds on, keep your room tidy too and stuff. Right. Yeah. It's because you think, again, you, people think if you've been in the army, you keep your room tidy. No, <laughs> no not the case. It, that's interesting because maybe you need that order yeah. still. Oh yeah, I do. I like, I need someone to keep my house yeah. all the time, but it's, it's, it's great. Like I'm going to go to the States for um, six weeks in the summer and I know I'm going to really miss being at home, but it, it, it's awesome. And I was thinking, well, we actually have, I was actually having a chat with, because I actually try and talk to my mom these days after she read, read the book and cause I explicitly she said do not read the book and then um we had there was like an extract ran ran in the daily mail and i was like oh don't read the mail because it's got an extract from the book she's like i took the book out of your room and read it but then i was like really happy because it was like well it's all out then um and i thought why haven't we kicked out so it can't be that bad do you guys talk about it no because it's just kind of like i don't really want to i don't really want to talk about it and I'm, but I'm, I'm actually glad that she read it but like yeah so i think she understands where i'm coming from a bit before because i think she was kind of in the thing of thinking like oh my 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 problems were ptsd related and and she, and like i think now she the she understands a bit more that it's like the kind of the more the the loss of purpose and knowing that I'm not you know that's something that I can't get back but yeah so we, we were talking about the kind of situation living at home but I was thinking about it I thought like you know lo- looking a lot of you know I've been very lucky to travel a lot and a lot of other nations you know people live in family units you know like or they're very close like I have I have friends and stuff who will live in the same town as their family but they never see the family we used to live as troops of of apes, right? Then we used to, then we were like small bands of hunter gatherers and stuff. But there's always been this strong family unit. Then all of a sudden, we're like, oh, you know what's a really good idea? Let's all start living on our own in apartments and things. And one of, what's one of the things you strive for when you're 16? It's like, who's going to be the first person to move out and live on their own? And I'm thinking now, I'm like, that was dumb. For some people, okay, it might work. But I, I just think for a lot of people, it's not a good idea. My brother lives down in London. He's really suffered with his mental health for a while. He's never been in the military. You know, he just came down to London like a lot of people kind of got like kind of lost in the churn. And, you know, he was paying a lot of money for his rent, as most people do in London, which, but it, but it it was an absolute shithole. Didn't want to be in a shithole. So where's he going to go? He's going to go to the pub. So he's drinking, which is depressing. So it's, it's worse cycle. The more depressed he is, the less he wants to be in a shithole, the more he goes out and drinks. And, you know, I just think like, God, oh, he's not going to be the only one in that position. Now he's moved further out of London now or further, you know, from the centre, got a bigger place. There's more green spaces around there. And now he's happy to be at home and he's, but he's got like a more healthy, like social circle now as well. So he gets company, but he's found a purpose in that he's like, so now he works a job in the day, but then he's really into fashion. So he's working on fashion design in the evening. So he's got a purpose. And honestly, a couple of years ago, I was, I wasn't worried that he was going to top himself or anything, but I was worried that he was going to end up in a really, really bad place. You know, now he knows the people in his apartment building, even though it's apartment building, he knows people in that apartment building and they'll chat and they'll go and have you know they'll have like invite each other for food and that's kind of stuff it makes a massive difference how much does like the social impact how did that help you because you went through kind of your bad years and you've kind of come out the other side i mean i'm definitely i love being social i like i'd love writing if i could just like have some little chip implanted in my head and i could just hang out with people and just write in my head as you know as kind of 
you know, hanging out and observing and all that stuff. And, and I, de- I definitely think as well, writing, if you're spending all your time in the house, then what the hell are you going to have to write about? You need to go out and live your life. Problem I had was that I think this is, again, something a lot of people fall into is I wanted to be around other people. But the easiest way to do that was to go out into environments that involve drinking drugs. And like, I, I always say this, I'm never going to be someone that's like, and drinking drugs are not fun. They're fucking are fun. That's why people start doing them. But like, there's, oh, there's other reasons for doing them too. And then it's very easy to then blur the lines between this was fun. So it's like the difference between I'm doing MDMA to make this um, dance music event that like that extra 20% more kind of like euphoric. And I'm going to do it because, you know, I just don't have any natural serotonin. That's so why I'm going to do stick a bunch of fake shit in. And I wanted to be social. I wanted to be around other people because when I was on my own, I was with alone with my thoughts. And I think there's a lot of people out there who just don't want to be alone with their thoughts. And I totally understand that. I wanted a social, um, a social life, but that social life was blurred. I was abusing my social life. And it wasn't that there was really anything wrong with the people I was hanging out with. It's not like they were pushing stuff on me. I was pushing it on me because I just, I just didn't want to be alone with myself. I didn't want to think because if I was in a club or whatever, I could be just thinking about that moment in the club rather than the bigger picture of what is the purpose in my life now? And, you know, all those kind of questions. And the only reason I stopped doing it is because I ran out of money. I spent all my money. I went into a massive amount of debt mm. and then I couldn't get any more money. I couldn't get any more debt. And um, the work on the ships dried up. Yeah. So it was literally, I was kind of almost, I was forced, uh, I was kind of forced into that position of, well, now you have to face it because you're going cold turkey one way or another. Yeah. And the other thing as well is sadly, someone that was in Afghanistan and Iraq with committed suicide around about the same time. This, this wasn't something that was like, oh, what veterans commit suicide i was very aware of that you know it's something that i wanted to do myself it's like i mentioned it's like i you know i knew that it happened so it, it but it was this kind of thing of because it was that force of sobriety and that thing of like that's going to be you if you don't get your shit together it's like do you want it to be you no, I don't, no, I fucking don't want it to be me. Well, you're going to have to do something. I was kind of like, look at like that suicide is obviously a tragic thing, but I almost kind of look at it in a way of like a bit of a kind of like a, you know, almost like a sacrifice that he kind of did, you know, not just for me, but for, I think a lot of other people kind yeah. of bringing that kind of just, just, yeah, bringing it right into the face of like, look, this is what's going to happen if you don't get your fucking act together. So what did you do? A lot of crying. The lot of, crying, mm. the lot of just kind of in despair for a while. I didn't really, I didn't really have a plan. Yeah. Finally reached out to one of the lads that I was in Afghanistan with. He had a hard time of things. I mean, he'd been shot, he'd been shot through the neck. He'd been blown up. He'd like had severe mental problem, like uh, mental health problems. And I knew that he'd suffered with night sweats and stuff like that, which I got, which we talked, we talked about before. And I asked him about those cause I was getting really bad night sweats, which I think it was a combination of drugs and PTSD stuff. I was like, I couldn't sleep at night. I could only sleep when it was daylight. Mm. But I was very violent and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I got in touch with him about it. And he told me that he'd started speaking to combat stress. And, you know, he kind of like implored me to give him a call. And I did. I gave him a call. It was really hard. I kept crying on the phone. Couldn't speak to him. Eventually, I kind of got what they call like a triage call. You have a triage call over the phone. It's, it's kind of hard for me to get my head around it now because, it's, you know, I like him. But like, it's, you know, it's, it's not easy talking about it. But at the same time, it's... It's almost like it didn't really happen to me. Mm-hmm. It's like it happened to a friend of mine, which is why it kind of, I find it upsetting, but it doesn't feel like it happened to me because they were really worried. Like they kind of forced me into like a quick like consultation because I think they were worried that I was going to talk myself. Looking back on it, it was, you know, it was, you know, I was, when I was in LA once, I met a music producer that worked with Chester Bennington, the Linkin Park guy. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about it just after he'd committed suicide. And he was telling me, he was like, look, he said he was really good as long as he stuck away from drink. And then there was just one day that he drank and he just, you know, it was too late. Mm. 
And I thought, fuck, who am I kidding? That could ha- that could happen to me. I thought there's been plenty of opportunities when I've been in one of these messes. If I'd have had, if I, I think to be honest, if I had lived in America and I had a gun, I probably would have fucking. And this is one thing, like I'm, you know, without getting into a Second Amendment podcast, I do worry about like when people with mental health issues, if they do have access to something that's so easy, because we're talking about the difference between moving your finger a couple of millimeters. A lot of people who don't kill themselves say it was just because I didn't have the means, mm. which is terrifying. Like the fact that you could have the means right Because it's actually quite hard. Like, because the thing is, is like, it's always about, you know, so one of my friends, you know, he was going to hang himself. Mm. and But that meant you had to go buy a rope. He had to go and find a tree. And there was all these steps he had to go through. And a few times it almost happened. But like, there was so many number of steps mm. that there was, it was at different points in those steps. But there'd come a point where something would happen on the way. He'd see a parent with their kid and he'd remember his own kids or something like that. There'd be something. Whereas if it's like you sit in your office, you open a drawer and you pull a gun out. Mm. And the thing is, a couple of my favorite writers have gone out by blowing their brains out. And I'm thinking like, oh, well, we seem to have a lot of similarities there. Like we both kind of have a quite dark view of the world at some point, both like the old drink and drugs. Well, like who am I to think that I wouldn't do something like that? But luckily that's not something I think about anymore. Yeah. After the consultation, what happened then? Uh, what happened at the consultation? Like what I'll say is the people I dealt with were all fucking amazing. They were awesome consultation was really hard i thought i was going to, i thought i was nailing it and then they, then they asked me about a specific incident that happened in afghanistan where one of my boys died mm. and that um that fucked me up and i started crying but then it was one of those things of well you cried now yeah it's fine. you might as well crack on and i did that and i and i, I did feel like that old cliche of i did literally feel like a weight was off my shoulders mm. for like an hour and then have, I you, like, <laughs> have you spoken to anyone like the reason i started doing coke was because i could actually start i could actually talk to people mm. and not i would like it was like i would be emotionless and i could i could i was like looking at it dispassionately um and i could talk about it and analyze it like it was like i was watching a film and talk about it and um, to be honest i don't know if you've ever heard dr gabo mati he's so he's like uh, I, I quite i dig his stuff like he's been on he's got some really good bo- books and he's a, psycho- a psychologist and one of the things he always says is that, like don't be feel bad about your addiction and feel glad that you found it because that's what kept you alive and i think you know what it fucking did because if i didn't have that there's no way because i tried talking a few times sober and once i found that i was going to start crying or whatever i was like right well that's getting compartmentalized i mean never doing that again but then the times when i first started telling people like look i've got a problem and stuff it was always off my face so the only time i tell someone i'd had a problem would be like look mate i'm doing too much drugs i i'm having suicidal thoughts and stuff but i'd be saying that while i was on while i was like while i was wired because as soon as i'm sober i'm like no hide it don't tell anyone i know it's fucked up but it's actually like i honestly feel like it was something that really helped me in a way and I'm sure there's, there's better ways of more healthy ways, but it did, it did really fucking help in its, in its own way. You know, like I said, I wish I'd known about other ways of doing things, but that was at the time all I knew. Like the idea of, I, I don't know if like, it's, it might be hard for especially like young people like to know you fucking joined the army 20 years ago, mm-hmm. which is what I was, I was pretty much 20 years ago. You don't complain when you're cold. If you complain when you're cold, you're going to get called a fucking pussy. Mm. So as if you're going to come out and say like, I've got mental health problems. No, there's absolutely no way that's going to happen. Like you would rather be dead. Like that's bottom line. You'd like the worst thing that can happen is that you are thought of as a coward. And like now people are starting to realize that having a mental health issue is not the same as being a coward, Mm. but that's what everyone thought it was, me included. And I didn't want to admit, but like, oh yeah, by the way, guys, I'm a fucking coward. Like that's how I felt. Like it was worse. The thought of that was worse than dying. Like honestly, there was points where I was like, I was so fucking pissed off that I didn't get killed in Afghanistan because that would have been like a noble way of going 
Like, cause it'd be like, everyone would be like, oh, I'm so fucking proud of him. Like he gave his life for his country and all that fucking bullshit. And the reason I say fucking bullshit is because people give life for their friends, not for their country. Not, um, you know, I'm just trying to be disparaging, but yeah, if that, I was like, I was so fucking like, I wish that had happened to me at the time because I'm like, oh great. Now I just be like, oh yeah, I'm just fucking weak. You know, it's like having a broken leg. Yeah. I didn't choose to have a broken leg. It happened, you know, and I've got through it. And I, and the thing is as well, I always fucking did. It never stopped me doing my job. I did my job. I did well on every one of my fucking mm -hmm. tours. I also have best for part, best part of 30 years of conditioning. You took years learning that. It's going to take a long time to it, unlearn exactly, it. Exactly. So how are you unpacking that? Are you going through therapy? When I had that consultation, mm -hmm. they said the combat stress were like, right, we're gonna, we can get you a residential course where you'll get like intense therapy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you, the next space is going to be at least six months away. And I was like, I ain't making six months. Yeah. And it was like, not that I thought I'm going to kill myself in six months, but it was... I'm, there's no way I, I want to keep, cause my day to day at that point was fucking horrible. Cause mm -hmm. I didn't have the drug crutch, but I also didn't have the things that I've learned now. So I was just in this fucking horrible place of like, well, this is fucking, so this sucks. And if this is, this is the next six months then I'm just going to go, I'll find any way. Cause here's the other thing as well. It's like, I'm not the first person in the world to ever think, oh, I actually have found a solution to support my drug habit. It's called selling drugs. And that was really not a route that I kind of wanted to go down more again, because like the impact on my family rather than the impact on myself. Um, so like, you know, luckily I've been in a position where I've had a family that I've not wanted to fuck over. So yeah, I was like, well, I can't wait that long. Um, so I went to a different, went to NHS and got some help through them. I still had to wait a couple of months for it. I went through cognitive behavioral therapy. I really found it helped because one of the things I had, and this, cause this gets so many layers to this. So I, I spent some time, I wasn't, I wasn't kind of welcoming. I, I wore my welcome at home because I was an absolute fucking asshole. I was just violent and just, you know, not towards people, but I'm well, actually no, it's not true. Cause you can be violent with words. We're violent with words, not physically violent towards people, but there's a lot of destroyed furniture in that house. Put it that way. And I just thinking about it, I thought, you know, I'm not like, I'm not, you know, nearly 200 pounds. And my mum's like a little five foot teat woman. I mean, it's, fucking shit scary when I'm throwing mm. furniture around the house and trashing the place. And I went to Manchester, stayed at my mate, mate's flat while I was there. I, cause this isn't something I'd had, I'd really come across while I'd been in LA, whatever it is. I didn't realize that as well, my subconscious mind, I, um, when I was in Manchester, cause there's a lot of young Muslim men around there. Mm. My experience in life in being in areas with young Muslim men was Iraq and Afghanistan, where I am constantly looking where I'm putting my feet, I'm constantly looking for snipers. I'm looking for ambushes because there's just not a big Muslim community where I come from in Wrexham and there's not one in in LA and you know, it's not one in Hollywood. And I'd go try and I try and go shopping and I'd get this crippling pain from like the top of my shoulder down to my lower back where I couldn't lift my arm up anymore because my body was so tight. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Because again, on a logical level, I was like, I know these guys are fucking like these guys, they're, they're no threat to me. They're fucking fine. I just said that this guy said hello to me. I knew that. But my like lizard brain, that kind of, it, my, it was just, he was just like, dude, what the fuck? Where's your weapon? Where's your helmet? Where's your body armor? Where's the rest of the fucking platoon? What the fuck are you doing walking through the middle of this fucking market on your own? Because like, I, I can't just like stress enough that literally if you got separated from your platoon mm. in Iraq or Afghanistan, you were dead. End of. Like no ifs, buts or maybes. You were fucking dead if you got separated because they're always watching you. They're always following you. The moment someone's separated, they're dead. And you're not just going to die. You're going to die in a fucking horrible way. They're going to shove barbed wire up your ass. You're going to get fucking raped by objects and shit. Then they're going to cut your head off and they're going to put it on video. 
And that is what was going on in the back of my mind. Like I wasn't seeing that as a film. I didn't realize, but I realized, I didn't realize that that was in the wiring of my brain. That was what was playing out going like, dude, dude, what the fuck? So that cognitive behavioral therapy really helped with, you know, really helped with that. But what kind of fucked that up though, was that I went through all that. And then I was in Manchester. I was just, I was like a block away when the fucking MEM bombings happened. So like that reset a lot of stuff because all of, like my my brain was like, well, I fucking told you it is a fucking risk. And and that's something I still struggle with now, to be honest, because I know a lot of my American friends, you know, they'll carry, they carry weapons on them and stuff like that. They, they carry pistols because like, well, well, you never know something might happen. I'm like, I don't want to go through my life thinking that something might happen. Yeah. But on the other hand, could I live with myself if something did happen and I wasn't able to protect my loved ones? Because I didn't realize there was a bombing at the time because we saw all the ambulances. We didn't actually hear it. Mm. I saw all the ambulances going up the, the road and I was like, oh, fuck, must have been a car crash. Because we were on the main road. I thought it must have been like a bad car crash. So I just kept walking the other direction. And then when I found out what it was, I felt really, I had this like severe kind of like guilt that I was like, if I'd have known, I could have run in the other direction. I might have been able to help somebody. And I tried to explain that to my girlfriend at the time. She just couldn't get it. Cause I was like, that, that made me, that probably, that put me in like a deep depression for like over a week. She couldn't get that. But like I said, my kind of the DNA thing, my thing was like, when something like that happens, you, if you're a soldier, you run towards it. You don't walk, even though I did, had no idea, I still felt like you walked away from that. You are weak. You are pathetic. You should have gone to that. And again, as part of my mind was like, dude, you didn't know what happened. You thought it was a fucking crash, car crash miles away. Mm. You're not fucking Superman. But then when I found out, like it was just, it was just there in the back of my mind, right? Like told you you're fucking useless. So I still, yeah, I finally started seeing, getting therapy and that kind of stuff. That started helping. It's not using drugs and drinking on a regular basis help. I'd still do it now and again. Cause I, I'm, I'm not somebody to say like, don't drink, don't do drugs. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a drug advocate. I think that there's a time and a place for with certain ones. You know, I think the fact that like weed and stuff is illegal in this country is fucking insane. Especially considering like the help it can do with mental health and stuff. I think, I think that's fucking nuts. So I, I like, I like how America and, you know, like America is like ahead with stuff like that. So I just say to people like, you know, you know, mm-hmm. in your gut, when are you doing something to mask and when are you doing it? Because you genuinely enjoy having a pina colada. I fucking love a pina colada, yeah. but you know the difference between a pina colada and being in a hotel room on your own and you just smashed a liter of fucking vodka. You know when there's a difference. So, and then almost by like accident, I started to fall into the other stuff. Like I started thinking like when I was being happiest in my life was when I've been around like a group of people, like a team. It's when I've had, pur- you know, it's when I've had a purpose, when it's when I've had a mission. It's when I've been in the outdoors. It's when I've been physically active. Uh, it's when I've traveled. You know, it's when I've been around family. So I just started like re-implementing like all these things into my life. Like really, really like easy fucking solutions. Like the, the like, you know, I've never done antidepressants or anything like that. Some people I think, you know, they're the, they're the right thing for some people. When I got diagnosed with PTSD, the first thing they said was, oh, I'll write your prescription for antidepressants. Mm. And I think like it's fucked up that he didn't say, are you getting exercise? Are you doing meditation? Are you going like, are you, are you seeing your family? You know, all that kind of thing. One of the things that you mentioned was that your girlfriend at the time just didn't get what you were going through, basically, because obviously she doesn't have the same experience. How important is it for you to talk to people who do get it? I still find it really hard to accept to myself, even though I'm like such a fucking supporter of it. I have moments where I'm like, ah, dude, come on. So I think if you're going to get 
like I, I think as far as like say an infantry soldier goes, who is basically a trained like let's let's make no bones about it, a trained killer mm. is more than happy most of the time to kill the enemy, right? Mm. So we're not to, like I'm not going around making fucking daisy chains and stuff like that, you know. I feel like I'm quite open about this stuff. I mean, I wrote a fucking book about it. Like, you know, like I'm trying to just be honest about it. Most guys are not like that. Um, and the idea of them to open up to even somebody that's been through the same thing is very hard. So, you know, would it be great if they could open up to anybody? Yeah, it fucking would be great. But I think we're, we're, we're not going to see that with this generation. I don't think that's, that's something that we should be hopefully other generation. I think if we, if this generation, the idea should be that if we can try and get people to open up to people who have been through similar things, that would be a great start. And then we can, you know, kind of expand it from there. Mm. You know, I think it's like, it's great to have like lofty ideals and stuff. We need to be fucking realistic about this. You know, you're getting someone who's been, you know, he's 60 years old. He's did 30 years in the army. He's killed more people than fucking John Rambo, you know? And he's like, he's not going to want to talk, sit down with a, what he'd see is 25 year old fucking civvy who has no, like he was the same age as his fucking son mm. who still can't tidy his room. And you know what I mean? Like, it's just, I'm just being realistic about it. Like it's, I think it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard to speak to people who haven't had the same experience at the same time. Sometimes I find it really good sometimes because, um, I think a sense of, uh, perspective is great. Cause what I, what I found really, um, helpful and it sounds fucked up saying actually, so I feel quite good saying it is, you know, again, and, and this kind of comes down to the fact of, you know, every, some like bad things can have good, uh, you know, good, good consequences, which is when I was doing those, those periods where I was doing like a lot of drugs and stuff, you know, the old after parties, people are in there, people are talking some, sometimes it's meaningless conversation and people spewing conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff. Other times people are like, you can actually have a real fucking conversation. And I, you know, I had some conversations. I remember them distinctly hearing about someone who'd lost a brother when they were young, you know, someone had been raped, you know, these kind of conversations. And I, I was like, fuck we're not different to civilians they've been through really hard stuff and i'm like you know when i heard about someone losing their brother i'm like well i literally can't think of anything worse than that that's like the worst case scenario for me and it started giving me a sense of perspective of like and oh but also like that that whole thing of you know when I'm, I'm not it's because before it was almost a sense of i'm fucked up i'm someone that people won't be able to understand you know, I'll never be able to integrate into civilian society, which just added onto my thing of just feeling lost and like, well, that's it. Now I'm never going to be in the right place again. Mm -hmm. And then through having those conversations with people, again, would it have been great if it happened without drugs and stuff? Yeah, it'd been awesome. But, and, I, and I'll tell you what, I've never had somebody sober in a chat to me just say like, oh yeah, I was raped when I was like, there's one girl I was talking to. This, I was like, she was, she used to be on the same mattress as her mum, was her mum was a prostitute and she'd have to lie on that mattress with her mum as her mum got fucked. And I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ. Like, wait a minute. Like, what, what was it? I was fucking, oh, that I don't get to be in the army anymore. Like, come on guys. Like fucking Jesus Christ, dude. And it's not that I'm like, oh, cause I do think there's sometimes you can beat yourself up with that kind of stick of like that gratitude stick, you can build a rod through yeah. back and just beat yourself up with it. But it was, don't you want to get in a position where you can help somebody who's in those kind of things? And it just kind of like started shifting, uh, shifting my thing. But I just realized, I realized now that I'm like, look, like no one is going through life without some kind of suffering mm -hmm. at some point. And in a weird way, I actually found that like really kind of like a unifying thing where I was just like, 
oh, well, we've actually, all of us have actually got something in common and it might not be because not everyone's happy, but everyone will suffer. So we do, everyone has something to kind of connect to. How can we help people coming out of the army, not just with PTSD, but with all the stuff you've mentioned about loss of purpose, loneliness, what should we be doing? The army needs to do, and the army and the MOD need to do a better fucking job. Like you train, like it takes years, months, years to train somebody to be a soldier. Mm. The idea that you can train them to be a civilian with a few days or whatever at the end and a fucking MVQ in plumbing. Personally, because I went through the back door of the reserves, I got nothing at all. I was just like, yeah, cheers, goodbye. And like, they'll say that, oh, well, you didn't do such and such, so you didn't, you know, you didn't qualify for whatever. Fine, I didn't qualify for an MVQ, but the idea that I could just do two tours in Iraq, one tour in Afghanistan, and then just be like, cheers, goodbye. That's just not a good thing. That's not just like a bad thing for me. That's a bad thing for society. Mm-hmm. The amount of veterans that are in prison now is is ridiculous. Like there's entire veterans and wings in prisons um, I don't buy it that these guys are, and girls are in there because you know that it doesn't have any result of their service and things like there's a lot of guys I know who had very bad childhoods they had trauma in their childhoods they go into the military they get compounded effect on the trauma they come out they make a mistake and then we go oh you know what's a good idea let's put them in a prison because that's really going to help the PTSD and these other things and these guys in prison now are fucked mentally you know and it's and it could have it could have all been solved so there's a lot of things that could be done um, um, while people are in, you know, these things that really add to like, cause it's, it's a big, it's a big, like, it's not usually one thing, is it? So if we sort out people's mental health problems, uh, look at it like a, a umbrella, right? What are the kind of the things that we can get covered under there? We can, the debt, you know, like if we, we shouldn't be letting people in the army, there's no need to be in the army to get into debt. It's absolutely no fucking need. So like they should be financial advice. So they're not coming out and putting an extra strain on themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, they need, they need better uh, advice on relationships because, and they need to have counselors for that kind of thing available to them because being in the, being in the military is a hell of a strain on relationships. There, there needs to be a, a change in attitude. And I do think that is happening. I think there's some, there's some people in the army right now um, who are like, I've just been like looking, I just, I just tweeted something today. They, they, they have this uh, mental, this new kind of like mental resilience program they're bringing in, which is good for the individual. It's good for the army too. You know, better soldiers it will be the result of it. I always think of Samurais as the example. You know, Samurais wrote fucking poetry. He didn't stop chopping people's heads off. So, you know, people are like, oh, you know, but we need big, tough soldiers. So you'd be a big, tough soldier and still, you know, be immensely resilient stronger. Um, I think that the army needs to address the fact that there, the army does target um, lower income, kind of like less qualified people. And quite often, I, I, I had some lads in my platoon from fucking horrific backgrounds of domestic abuse mm. and these people should be getting these people should be getting help for that while they're in the army i also think the army needs to do a better job when it comes to physical training and stuff it's it's one thing you get roused at six o'clock in the morning and told to get up and you need to be here with this kit this and well that doesn't happen in civilian life you got to look after yourself so the army needs to be training thinking people as well as you know not people that just react to orders mm. you know so there's a lot of things that the army can be doing as civilians i think it's what what sort of soldiers have kind of got, got a lot of pride and as much as we do appreciate a thank you what we don't like is pity so we don't want a fucking pity parade of like oh you poor thing or whatever it's like look fucking kill people motherfucker don't be like you know treating me like a fucking baby because that is the worst thing even though it's well intentioned mm-hmm. that's the worst thing because if someone's got some kind of mental health problem that they the if they feel like they're getting pitied that is their biggest nightmare mm-hmm. to feel weak is is the so it's it's always like 
Um, it, it's a it's a tough one because you basically almost need to give them the tough love, and I think banter is a great way to to bring things out. Like you know, and that's going to be different to every person. But like a lot of ways, me and my mates trying to talk about it is we we joke around with it, but we're, we're having a serious conversation. But like one of my mates the other day was like. Uh, you know, he didn't text me back for a couple of days and I was a bit worried about him. It turns out he was just busy with work. But the way I was getting in touch with him, I was like, can you just send me a text? Because I'm worried you're fucking, I'm worried your fat, disgusting corpse is hanging off a tree somewhere and I don't want you scared in the local kids. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that kind of thing rather than, are you all right, darling? Do you need a hug? You know, so it, but, so it's, it's that. But, you know, it, it, it's one of those things. It's just like, I think a lot of the times just the, the knowledge that someone actually, gives a fuck enough to admit that they don't feel like they have all the answers is a, a lot of things. So instead of being like, well, I know exactly what you need. It's just kind of a thing of like, if someone say has a family member or someone like that, who they think need help instead of like shouting and screaming or going, you need bloody help. You're fucked up from the army. Maybe, maybe just get in touch with one of their friends and let them come at it from a flank. You know, in the army, we don't try and go full frontal on things because then that's when you get shot apart by machine guns. You come at things from a flank and that's the way to kind of do things. There. If you think, you know, someone's struggling, get in touch with one of their mates that were serving you know, and you can track this fucking Facebook and everything out there. Now you can track people down, even if it's not Facebook, like go so someone like, you know, get in touch with someone like me on social media. Who I'm more than happy to drop someone a message or get them or, you know, kind of like subversively say to someone, oh, I came across this account. You know, he was talking about such and such and then let them find it from themselves. But it's the, the pride thing is, and I think this is like a men thing in general, but, you know, very like, it's definitely true for soldiers. If you come at them from a place of, as soon as they start to feel like this person's thinking I'm weak, mm-hmm. they're going to fucking put the, the shell is going to go up, you know, the shell is going to go around them and you're not going to get anywhere then. You know, it has to be, you, you almost have to kind of pander to the ego. Like, I don't want to say ego because that makes it sound like they're, you know, they're, you know it's, but I can't, it kind of is what it is. You know, you just, just, you know, acknowledge the fact that they've had one of the fucking hardest jobs in the world. And, you know, those, if you go into that, if you go into a job where your job is to take somebody else's life, Mm. you have to be a tough person. You have to think of yourself as a tough person. And that's kind of how they need to be kind of approached, really. If you've been affected by any of the issues we discussed today, please contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to the website at samaritans.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please give us a rate and review on iTunes and come join us on our Facebook group, which is just Mentally Yours. Thanks very much to our producer, Juliet Nichols and Sam Bonham, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. See you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of non-stop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a woman-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.